Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, today I want to share with you one of the most dear subjects in my life, adoption. Adoption, one principal way that we approach orphan care. Likely the most difficult sermon I'll ever preach, not just because of its glorious content, but more personally, the depth of and the nature of the topic for Kristen and I, and my often inability to hold it together at times when preaching. I want us to see today this grand truth The glory of God's love and salvation as revealed through adoption whereby we become children of God. Whereby we become children of God. I'm going to offer three lessons today in order to explain this grand truth. And one lesson is going to be from the scriptures. One lesson is going to be a personal testimony. And then one lesson, the third, will be our church's application for that. But these are three lessons that adoption continues to teach to us. And the first lesson I call the lesson of theology. The lesson of theology. It's simply this. Adoption teaches us that God's love is far more glorious than we dare imagine. God's love is far more glorious than we dare to imagine. Now, adoption is one of the central metaphors in the Bible used to encompass our salvation in Jesus Christ. So when it talks about adoption in the scriptures, it does so always in reference to our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Greek word for adoption in the New Testament is used five times. In uh, Romans, as we'll see here in a moment, in Ephesians, in Galatians, and also in the book of James. I'm going to take these passages today and draw some biblical introduction to the idea, to the concept of adoption, and then make some spiritual application and truth application for us today. But let's first of all begin by going to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 15 through 17 before we continue. Paul writes to the church at Rome, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. In this first lesson of theology, if you will, where we entertain the far more glorious nature of God's love than we dare imagine, I want to provide to you five central truths about God's love and salvation in Jesus Christ that Paul makes for us in his argument. It's interesting that the word for adoption, the concept for adoption, Scholars tell us is most likely drawn from outside the Jewish mindset, from the Roman or the Greek mindset. 
The Jewish didn't have any practice thereof, but the Romans' adoption was a very central practice, and even in the Greek world as well. And so he's drawing from his understanding, but he's applying it to our faith. The first central truth I want you to see from these verses this morning is this, that adoption demonstrates to us that we are made family with God. Adoption demonstrates to us that in our salvation in Jesus Christ, we are made family with God. And not just family, but that there are no second class family members. There will be no crazy uncles in heaven. In the church, yes. Plenty of us. And you know who you are. But not in heaven. You see, explaining adoption, Christian scholar F.F. Bruth states this. He was not inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Without exception. Did you hear that? You are not the exception to this rule is what I'm telling you. Without exception, every person that is saved by faith in Jesus Christ to become a Christian is adopted and enjoys all the blessings of the family to become a full heir of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Friends, God's love for you finds you where you are And brings you to where he has ordained to place you. You cannot be a second class citizen in heaven. Because there are none. And all your sinful deeds in this world. Will not cause you to in some way. Be some kind of child that is less than any other in heaven. What a glorious truth that is. What a glorious truth that is for us to settle in our own hearts and minds. When we think that we're unlovable. When we believe that God couldn't love us as completely as others. He already has. He already has. And that's what Paul begins by telling us in Romans chapter 8. The second central truth I want you to see is that adoption brings the spirit Christians receive in salvation that distinguishes both our new identity and our known intimacy and close relationship with God. Our new identity... And our known intimacy in close relationship with God. One of the most glorious studies to do here is a word study of the word spirit in verses 15 to 17. He says this in verse 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery, little s. In other words, our own spirit there to fall back into fear, but you have received the capital S spirit of adoption. In other words, capital S spirit is the spirit that comes from God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's the the very presence of God, the person of God manifesting himself in us. This is what adoption is all about, and that's where our new identity comes from. The spirit of adoption produces a radical change in us about ourselves. It gives us a new identity. And we speak of this so often, but we often do not apply it directly by adoption. But that's what Paul does. Paul says, this is the way our new identity comes. 
that we're not only saved, that we are justified by the forgiveness and the cleansing of our sin. When Paul argues for our salvation by justification, he's speaking to us of legal terms, as if we're standing in a court of law before the capital L lawgiver. But when he speaks to us of being part of the family of God, he's talking about adoption. This is not a legal transaction. It is a relational one. And our new identity makes us as much new in our relation to God as it does in our legal standing before God. This is the beauty of it, friends. Though we were separated from God by our nature, born into sin, we are made children of God to enjoy all the rights, the privileges, and the inheritance of Him as his children. The Spirit also produces a radical change in us. And this comes directly from that by our, what I call our known intimacy with God. Our known intimacy with God. Our new identity as Christians in Christ Jesus produces our known intimacy with God, our perfect heavenly Father. This is the glory, friends, that our Savior and Redeemer is not just this somewhere out there divine being, but rather we are brought into Him to know our Heavenly Father. You see, the change is simply this, that we relate to God not as an unknown power or force. Christians do not worship God as the God who is out there and we are trying to appease and trying to entertain and trying to prevail upon his good graces to recognize us when it most matters. Sometimes we live that way, don't we? If I do a little better, if I do a little more, God will love me a little more or his love will be better for me. But that is an anti-Christian concept because of adoption. There isn't anything we could do that would cause God to love us better or more. Why? Because we are his and he is ours. And what a glorious, glorious truth this is. And it tells us that the capital S Spirit of God that brings or that comes into our life at salvation is one that testifies within us and our soul that God is not a removed being, but he is what? Abba, Father. Abba Father, that is that word for Abba Father is the most intimate of relational words born out of the natural cry of the innocence of a child longing and desiring and loving the one to whom they look to as father. What a beautiful, beautiful expression. And this is given to everyone who is in Christ. You see, the spirit of adoption tells us we need not run from God in fear. But we should run into his presence because he awaits. Song of Solomon says it this way in chapter 2 verse 16. He is mine and I am his. This is the known intimacy of close relationship with God. This is the reality of our adoption. It is unthinkable, unimaginable for a Christian to not live in the known presence of the heavenly father. That's not God's plan. It's not God's will. You see, adoption changes the source to which a child looks for their security to abolish fear, 
for their provision to satisfy need and for their identity to establish personhood. What a blessing and what grace speaks so deeply to the very essence of our need in life. We have a new identity that brings a known intimacy with God. You see, adoption is our confident assurance that we know and are known by God, our Heavenly Father. Why? Because the Spirit, capital S, testifies to our spirit, little s, from within where He lives. We are God's children. And every Christian right now ought to know, not because of the words that I speak, but in the echo of those words, the spirit from within says, yes, yes. Score. Score. The third central truth that we learn from this passage is that adoption guarantees our eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ to provide the foundation for our eternal hope that now strengthens us to wait for his return. That now strengthens us to wait for his return. If you go just a few verses later in Romans chapter 8 to verse 22, 22 to 25, let me read those for us. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, capital S. In other words, we've gotten confirmation of our salvation because God has put his Spirit within us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What's he talking about there? He's talking about that the Spirit of God inhabits the life of the Christian at salvation, but in that habitation, it says to us, yet but not fully and finally, completely. In other words, God comes into our life and we know he is with us, he is working and his power is within us, but the very spirit of our adoption says, but one day it will be perfect. It will be perfect and final. And so he goes on in verse 24, in this hope we were saved. What's that hope? We have him now. We shall be with him one day finally and ultimately and eternally. And so we groan inwardly, waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, friends, it is our satisfaction and our rested assurance in Jesus Christ that gives us the strength to endure and persevere in this world until even the physical reality of this world, whether by death or whether by Jesus' second coming, takes us home to the eternal spiritual reality for which we Away. You see, Paul completes his teaching by connecting our reality now to our eternal hope. In other words, Paul says, look, you don't wait for eternal life to begin. When you are saved, when you are forgiven and cleansed of your sin and justified before God, you are adopted in Christ. And in that adoption, that eternal life begins now. 
You're walking in relationship with God through Jesus Christ now. But you are being made strong enough to be patient. Boy, that's a promise that I have to trust, right? Because so often I fail in my patience. But he says this, that strength, the spirit of adoption that is put within our spirit is the strength of our hope that holds us through every circumstance and situation of life. Why? Because God has said it is done, it is done. And there is anything or anybody or any force or any power or any authority in this world that can change that. Because God has said that. Adoption encompasses the Christian's eternal inheritance as children of God. We know we are his. And we know one day he'll come to take us home to be eternally with him. You see, adoption is our confident assurance that holds Christians until the day Jesus returns to take us home. Now because of these truths, we can say some things more confidently about God's love. And so for this one, I'm going to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, where is the fourth use of the word adoption that Paul uses. And in Ephesians chapter 1, this is a grand hymn of spiritual blessing in Christ. And Paul just kind of loses himself in the glorious reality of our salvation. But listen to how he describes it in verse uh, just at the very end of verse 4 through verse 6, he says this, In love he, speaking of God, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So this fourth central truth of our salvation and God's love is this, is that adoption reveals God's eternal heart and his very nature as love. In other words, love is not just an action that God performs, it's the very nature of his being. And we learn this in 1 John where it says God is love. And so this is what Paul is teaching us. But he is applying the very nature of love to the manifestation of God's love through Jesus Christ to us in our salvation. And so in adoption, we see the very heart of God that was purposed by his sovereign will and the manifestation or the bringing about of his love. Listen to this glorious truth, friends. God's decision for our adoption was determined before the foundation of the world. This is not up for debate. Paul just states it with an anchoring hold upon the life of the one who is in Christ. You see, according to Paul, I need you to listen very carefully because I'm about to speak to the very doctrine that has divided the church for 700 years. But according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, the doctrine of adoption of God's love manifested upon his children reveals how it is that God has ordained to fulfill his predestination and his election in our salvation. We can debate the intricacies of these doctrines. And I'm good with that. Before we even get started in that conversation, I'll tell you, 
I don't understand all the finer minutia of it. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just telling you there is a sense in which when you study salvation, the glory of it transcends the comprehension of our capacity. But listen to me, friends. Don't ever say you don't believe it. Believing it and understanding it are not synonymous. Because Paul doesn't offer it here for some Christians to receive and others to black out. He says, this is the way God has worked. And for us, when we know the truth of God's word, we can marvel in the truth without demanding it to be confined to our comprehension. Because that's who God is. You don't own the box that he lives in. We don't own the box that God lives in. And I'm telling you, when it transcends your understanding, allow your hearts to revel in the glory of it. God's love for me, God's love for you, did not begin with me, did not begin with you. It began in his very heart and his very nature. As eternal as our God is, so is his love because he is love. And this is what we must remember. This is what Christians must come to grips with. His love is established in eternity. It doesn't have a start date. There's no shelf life and there's no end date to it. Nothing can change that. And if his love did not begin with me, listen to me, it cannot be ended by me. His love is determined by his nature. Not by my own stupidity, not by my own repetitive rebellion, but in Christ Jesus, the love that is eternal was set on every person who by faith repents of their sin and trusts in him. Don't stop thinking you can be too stupid for his love. Why do I take so much time with this? Because some of you really struggle. Daily, can God still love me? You remember things of the past you had long since forgotten and Satan wants you to go, God couldn't love you for that. God's already taken care of that, brother. The love of God that holds me in his salvation through adoption is by his very nature everlasting. And Friends, you are no exception to God's love. You are no exception. You won't be the one that gets some kind of temporary love, you will be the one who with all the rest of us receive his eternal love in Jesus Christ. Well, this tells us the most glorious truth that we need to celebrate. We see it in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, but I don't have time to read that. The fifth central truth that adoption teaches us in our salvation is this, that adoption is the reward of God's love in our redemption through Jesus Christ. It's the reward. I mean, it's a good thing to be loved, but listen to me. God doesn't say, I'm going to love you enough to get you out of hell. God says, I love you so much, I'm going to bring you to my table. You're going to live with me. Jesus says it this way, suffer not the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Such is the kingdom of God. Of God In Jesus Christ, we're not only set free from sin by God. Listen to me. We're brought home to live as his children. And I'm going to tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to live as a kid. 
Like, I'm not picking anything up. I'm not washing the dishes. I'm not putting things away. I'm living as a kid. I'm going to eschew every bit of responsibility that could even blow my way. I'm going to be the, I may have a dirty corner, but let me tell you what. I'm going to live as a child of God, not an adult. Amen? Uh-huh, some of you are already practicing. This, this fifth central truth reminds me of what we call family day, the day that, uh, that we, our adoption with our children was final. That was, it was legal. And uh, many adoptive families celebrate gotcha day or family day or they give it another name, but it's, it's as important as their birthday to us. You see, the adoption is a powerful metaphor of salvation because, listen to me, orphaned is the reality of sin. Orphaned is the reality of sin, where one is helplessly condemned without hope. You see, in sin, we are cast away from all that identifies and defines, all that is good, all of our security, all of our provision, and all love. That is true, anyway. There's many false forms of it. There are countless solutions that are offered, but none provide what love freely gives. Orphaned is what captures the image of the one lost in sin we've sung it here I was an orphan lost at the fall that's the first phrase of the song we are without a savior and because of that we have no hope nor no help outside of God's grace in Jesus Christ you see adoption is central to our salvation in Jesus Christ because we were saved by a man who was adopted by his earthly father we don't think about that much but that's the fact Adoption taught me personally more about God than all of my studies combined. Not because of the volume of information, but there's been a lot, but rather the depth of the lessons that have been delivered on a daily basis by my kids. Mostly, my imperfections and being reminded of God's perfection. And so by contrast, those lessons have come. If you are a Christian, you are adopted by God. Your new identity has given you a known intimacy with the creator of all things and the one who is our redeemer. Don't pray to God, a distant being or power or force. Cry out, Abba, Father, because when you do, the very spirit of God within you testifies to your own spirit that you are his and he is yours. And if you are not a Christian, God invites you today to receive his love by trusting in Jesus Christ. To receive forgiveness and cleansing of your sin. But listen to this. And be adopted into his family. Perfect family. One day. Being perfected now. Amen. Yes. Hope for all of us crazy uncles. God wants you to become his child. And be one of his family. That's the first lesson the lesson of love, that adoption teaches us that the love of God is so much more glorious than we could ever dare imagine. The second lesson I want you to see is the lesson of power. A lesson of power. It's, it, 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 adoption teaches us that the power of God's love is so much greater than we dare imagine. The power of his love. And to do this, I'm going to share a testimony with you of Kristen and I 
Kristen and I decided that we would adopt when we were dating in college. I know this probably sounds a little weird, but uh, we were both moving towards marriage and I wanted to keep the momentum going as much as possible. Let's get this thing done because, you know, I just needed to. I, I, I knew I was way out of my league and uh, before she realized that, I needed to, you know, seal the deal kind of thing. A very early combo we had, though, we shared that we believed God wanted us to adopt. She said this, that, and I said that, and we agreed in that. You know, in that day, it was interesting. Adoption was not something you heard much about. It surely was not a hot topic or a Christian cause or anything of that nature. And, and I, I don't say that in any derogatory manner other than just to say it's not something we knew much about. I had a couple of friends growing up that I knew were adopted, and We never thought any differently about them because of that. They were just my friends, and that's what they were. But Kristen and I made the decision to adopt before we were married. Little did we know how important that decision would become for us a few years later. Three years after we were married, we decided it's time to begin our family. Hey, we had the plan all mapped out, the timeline. This is when God's going to do this, and this is when God's going to do that. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yes. Yeah, and God said, I don't think so. You know, so three years after we'd been married, I was about a year from seminary and uh, graduating, and that was in itself one of faith that we needed to continue to move towards. We decided that we would begin our family, so it began a process of numerous surgeries and struggles with infertility, and that would plague us over the next six and a half years or so. Doctors would continue to tell us there was no reason we couldn't have children, And we would later discover that that was probably technically true, but not likely accurate. To no demise of their counsel, just the way the situation played out. But even at that time, we didn't want to wait any longer. We had uh, waited as long as we wanted to wait. I graduated seminary. We uh, were trying to build our family. And after a couple of years, we just finally realized, what are we waiting on? And, And we went back to that decision from college And we agreed that we would begin the adoption process because we knew what God wanted us to do. Just we had put it on a different place in our timeline. And we realized God was moving it up. But our decision was not simply a process. When we recounted that decision we had made, we began to consider it for where we were in life. And we realized it's not about starting a process. Rather, in the midst of all of the complications and infertility struggles that we had, we concluded this, that God had determined he would build our family through adoption. He would build our family through adoption. It's really hard for me to say how extensively the conclusiveness and the conviction of this decision affected us. I don't even know that we knew it fully at the time, but would discover it later. Other than to say it did this for us, we began to focus on God, His timing, His will, and His way for what He wanted for us in the way we would build a family. There was no bitterness in us, simply an elation over the certainty of knowing good. Now we'll get on God's plan and follow that. And while the physical struggle with infertility remained for several years, even after our first adoption was completed, it ultimately had to remove any possibility of natural birth for us. Our understanding that God had ordained our family to form through adoption only deepened and strengthened within us to hold us through every decision with which we were faced in the processes. So in January of 1999, we began the adoption process. We were living in Arkansas, and we did all of our paperwork there. 
But in June of 99, I had taken a new job and we moved across state lines to Missouri. And the day that we moved into our home, we bought a new house. I took a new job. We moved six and a half hours north. Um, uh, we, we received a referral in the mail two days at our new address. And uh, in that moment, our heads were spinning. I'm not even sure we knew our name. There were so many major life decisions that were just piling up on top of one another. And the very process alone was just filled with God's sovereign hand working every detail. I don't have the time to tell you every story of both of our adoption accounts where God's hand just seemed to intervene and take care of things. But as we began to make those decisions early, we determined that international adoption was the route we would go. And I want to give you a couple of highlights of our adoptions, both of them. In the first process, we, would, uh, we had already decided when we submitted the paperwork that we would accept whatever the first referral that came to us was. A lot of decisions you have to make in all of this, and some of them can be very challenging, but we just said, you know what, we're going to accept it as God's will for us. And so on that day, we received a picture and a VHS tape. Now, for anybody under 30, VHS tape is what preceded DVDs, and you, you put it in a box that blinked 12 at you all the time. That's all we got with uh, then the, the, the paperwork as well. And we received a picture of a baby boy identified as Sergevich Mikhail Studenikov. Sergevich Mikhail Studenikov. I believe you're seeing a picture of him there. That's all we had. That's taken off the TV screen. Not even a high-def TV screen, as you can tell. Upon counsel, we took all the information we had to the local pediatrician and, and she overviewed it and, and just uh, gave us a review of it. And we were interested in what, we, in what she would tell us, but our decision to accept the referral was already made. And so that was in June. About six weeks later in July, we traveled to pick up our son, Joshua Michael Harrison, on July the 20th of 19. Uh, 99. And the next picture you're going to see is the first time that both of us were holding him there in the orphanage. He looked confused about who these strange people were. Uh, and every time his primary caretaker in the orphanage spoke, his head went right to her. He was like, save me from these people. What a blessing it was. Joshua spent the first six months of his life under good care in an orphanage. And when we were there, God confirmed that to us. But when we brought him home, he was severely malnourished. We knew that somewhat from the pictures, though not everyone who knew the extent of it uh, told us that. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. About three weeks after he got home, I was out of town at a conference and Kristen uh, realized that he had a fever spike to about 104, 105. We rushed him to the hospital and he spent four or five days in the hospital. He had E. coli in his system. Uh, he'd only had beef broth and cottage cheese to eat uh, in the first six months of his life and likely some of it you know, was not kept at room temperature or whatever. The resources in his orphanage were very low. And so once we got past that initial scare, uh, I like to say love took hold and grew that baby into the man he is today. College graduate, he lives in Tulsa, and he is working, and most importantly, off my payroll. <laughs> um, a couple of years later, in March of 2001, 
I was on a mission trip in Central America, and I was in a big circle playing with a bunch of kids. That's where I find most connection with life, is where kids are running and roaming freely. And something within me that I attribute only to the Spirit of God saying, now is the time for you to go get your daughter. So I came home the end of March from that trip, and I told Kristen, it's time for us to go get our daughter. We started the process the first week of August in 2001. By the end of September, we received our referral of a baby girl, Cynthia Pamela Minerva Galvez. And then as soon as we started to make travel plans, the country closed due to political strife with America. And from the end of September until the middle of January, we waited on stupid government regulations to get over themselves and I thought that I think this is it I'm going to do have to do a recon mission I need to find somebody that will fly me in I will take that baby and bring it home because she is mine and they will not keep her any longer so the country opened up I'm sure because I was thinking that (laughs) in the end of January we began to make plans and early February we traveled to pick up our daughter when they had finally opened up and we got Bethany Ann Harrison and brought her home in February of 2002. Bethany spent the first six months of her life with a foster mom for whom Kristen and I are so grateful and thankful for her loving care and spirited from the first day Baby Bethany was very, very, very unsure of what to think about these weird loco gringos that sounded funny to her, but we managed to quell her spirit with some good watermelon. (laughs) The first great blessing in both of our adoption is this, friends. The week we decided and started our paperwork process was the same week both of our children were born. Now, I don't say this to brag. I just simply say this as a testimony to God's goodness to us. That's not normal. Our adoption from the day we started filling out paperwork until the day we brought our children home for both of them was about six months. The week within four days of when we submitted our paperwork, our children were born on both accounts. And Kristen and I frequently said that the two children we brought home could not have been more like us, one more like her, and one more like me. We've always told our children their adoption stories because they're the expression of God's love as we just saw in the lesson of theology. Like it's, it's God's love. It's his good gift to us. It's the way that he chose to build our family. And we tell this story because we've believed that. The second great blessing we've always had is this. We have lived with the keen awareness that our children are not our own. Our children are God's. And for an incredibly short amount of time, he has entrusted them to us to steward their lives and to teach and to train their hearts for him. And so I thank God for my children. I thank God for the way he chose to build our family and for the reasons he did and for every lesson he has taught us. First of all, because he gave us two greater gifts than we could have ever requested in our own desires. And secondly, because my children have taught me more about God, taught me more about myself and about life 
than I will ever teach them. I'm reminded every day of my life of this. And I believe I'm a better pastor because of it. And here's what I want you to see. There is no formula to calculate the power of love as an agent of transformation. It blows up every formula with far greater glory and power than we could have imagined and that you could conceive. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is what I call the lesson of mission. I want to move quickly through this. I'm going to speak about our mission as a church. But the third lesson is this. Adoption teaches us that God's love produces a more radical change than we dare imagine. A more radical change than we dare imagine. I've been asked, why does LifePoint prioritize orphan care in such the way? Well, my short answer is this, because God does in his word and among his church. You see, it's been the leading of God that's consistently and continually prioritized it among LifePoint from the very beginning. As a matter of fact, this is the first time in almost 18 years that we've ever shared our story openly or in our public services. We've shared it countless times individually and personally, but I've never shared it in a message or anything of that nature other than maybe an individual illustration here or there. You see, I have no doubt that our adoptions gave people points of connection to our church, especially early on. And for those considering orphan care for their own lives or even struggling with infertility, we've counseled countless number of couples through all of these things. But the way that God has grown this ministry is far beyond anything that we have done. And specifically through the families that have been addressing orphan care, adoption, fostering in their own lives. God has used them in a powerful way to build this ministry. And orphan care has provided for us as a church one way to live on God's mission, to live for the one who loved us. And so for us as a church, orphan care will never just be a project or a cause that we're simply passionate about. We prioritize orphan care in obedience to God's creational mandate, be fruitful and multiply, alongside his great commissioning to make disciples of all nations. And we do so in a love-compelled obedience to display the glory of his love on earth. You see, this is not about, is adoption a higher priority than having babies? You often hear me say, have babies, have babies, have babies, have more babies. No, as a matter of fact, we recently had someone share with us that their daughter came to them and said, Mama... So-and-so's adopted, and so-and-so's adopted, a child in our church. And she looked at her mom and said, I want to be adopted. (laughs) And he said, well, that's not going to happen. But uh, you see, every child wants to be loved. Every person wants to be loved. And it is normal for a child to look at mom and dad and say they love me. And in adoption, it becomes normal for a child to say, I have a mom and dad that love me. And so every natural born child to their family and every adopted child should look at the other and go, we share the same love of mom and dad. That's what we want to build. Suffer not the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom 
of heaven. We prioritize orphan care ministry because of four radical changes. The Bible commands it and the gospel compels it. James 1.27 Orphan care reaches a hopeless world with an endless source of eternal hope from the Father. There is a corporate witness that we provide in orphan care. Orphan care demonstrates God's heart for people who are helpless with his unstoppable power to bring and supply help for them. And fourth, orphan care teaches and strengthens God's children to live more faithfully in his love. Listen, friends, I know God doesn't call everyone to foster or to adopt. I understand that, but God has called every Christian to labor for the orphan. And that's what we're doing. We're giving you a way to come alongside those and we're cultivating a narrative among our church for those that God is calling to foster, for those that God is calling to adopt. And all of us can participate as some of us are actively involved. Friends, the glory of God's love and salvation is revealed through adoption whereby we become children of God. I have one closing illustration and then I'll invite the worship team to come back. You've seen the pictures of my children who were orphans. Friends, that's not who they are. They're sons and daughters. That's who they are. As the worship team returns... God's love is an incalculably powerful agent of change and transformation. And love is all this and so much more. But not just for the orphan. Even more for those who labor to serve the orphan. I told you, my children have taught me far more than I'll ever be able to teach them. And that's what happens to those who serve to labor for the orphan. The way I think about my children is but a glimpse of the deep, perfect love the Father has for His children. And orphan care provides the opportunity to make God's love visible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray.